Good morning, listeners, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Kevin Olson, along with my good friend, Tavis Killian, who's looking dapper per usual today. Oh, you should have seen the turtleneck yesterday. (laughs) And we're here to talk about global refining capacity. As always, this will cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, November the 11th. Veterans Day, actually, so shout out to all you veterans out there. But enough of that, let's get into the content you tuned in to listen to. At the start of the global pandemic in March and April, refineries around the world had to cut back on processing amid collapsing demand. Many across the globe, like those in the United States, saw their percent utilization of operable refinery capacity drop about 30% to decade lows in April. However, there is a structural problem underway in the downstream sector. Refinery overbuilding has led to too much refining capacity and is now leading a wave of closures. After several years of heightened investment, the oil industry has spent tens of billions of dollars in refineries around the world, including about $52 billion in 2019 alone. These massive expenditures led to 2.2 million barrels per day of new refining capacity, a record amount coming online in 2019, which has created overcapacity in the global refining space. The 2.2 million barrels per day increase in refining capacity last year stands in stark contrast to the rather weak demand growth of 0.8 million barrels per day. As a result, many refineries could be on the chopping block unless they are agile enough in the refining process to allow them to weather the storm. Companies and countries are moving away from refineries only designed to make gasoline and diesel and are favoring those with the capability to refine crude into petrochemicals and plastics. This is a move industry leaders hope will stave off the demand destruction of gasoline and diesel in the future. Refineries capable of changing their slates to continue operating at optimum capacity will do so while others will be forced to close. This reduction in overall operating capacity is opening the door for other global market participants to take advantage of the situation, allowing other countries to become leaders in global refining. So the question becomes, why are some refineries shutting their doors amid depressed oil prices, while brand new mega projects in China have recently been given the green light. Well, the growth in refining capacity and refining investment are mainly driven by the demand of petroleum products, which runs in parallel with the growth in both human and vehicle population. By 2025, a world population of, well, around 8.1 billion and more than 100 million vehicles on the road are expected. Therefore, refined products from the oil and gas industry will continue to be necessary regardless of a shift towards clean and green energy. Older refineries have been shutting down at a steady pace over the past decade, and the virus simply sped up this process as a result of these depressed prices. That does not mean refining capacity has also been on the steady decline, though. The billions of dollars that have been invested into refineries has largely been to increase capacity, retool their slates, and ultimately alter outputs. In other words, investments are going towards the refurbishment, upgradation, and expansion of existing refinery facilities in order to increase efficiency, and that is what's going to propel oil refining market growth. One may ask, why invest billions refurbishing one refinery when another is being shut down? Well, similar to feuding bakeries on opposite sides of the street, each refinery uses unique ingredients to make different products. A refinery in California might be tooled to process heavy crude oil from the region to make construction materials, while a refinery on the Gulf Coast may be set up to process light and sweet WTI crude to produce naphtha for petrochemicals. Additionally, the refinery shift is largely geared towards the future of the industry. 
As discussed in several prior RP periodicals and, well, this podcast, transportation makes up for 68% of domestic crude oil demand, but it won't stay that way forever. All around the world, gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel are the primary products that come from crude oil. However, the world market for these products is currently exhibiting flat to slow growth of around 0.7 to 0.9% per year, regardless of the pandemic. This is due in part to the impacts of traditional fuel replacement like methanol, ethanol, and LNG, in addition to the slow but steady increasing electrification of the transportation fleet and mandated improvements to global fuel efficiency standards. In comparison, the global petrochemical market is growing at nearly 4% per year. This shift has occurred for a multitude of reasons, including worldwide population growth, increasing income and wealth, and aging population in developed areas of the world. While the gap of 0.7% versus 4% seems large now, it is set to exponentially rise since demand for petrochemicals in less industrialized areas of the planet is doubling every 12 to 15 years. Meanwhile, demand in parts of the world that are already consuming the most petrochemicals per capita are still strong and growing. As the population of many developed oil-consuming countries begins to age, more people enter a retirement lifestyle and their consumption of transportation fuels generally decrease while the consumption of petrochemicals increase. It is this precise trend that started the phase-out of refineries tool to only make specific petroleum fuels and focus on refineries that have the capacity to accommodate the growing petrochemical market. So let's do like a little bit of a thought experiment here. Tavis, think of, you know, say... An, an elderly individual who's about to enter, you know, the, the retirement age and, and maybe even go into assisted living. Okay. Can you imagine that their fuel consumption, gasoline, diesel, is going almost zero, if not zero? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But their petrochemical consumption from, you know, say prescriptions that they need in a plastic bottle, new shoes, new clothes. I mean, heck, even if they can still order packages off Amazon, that petrochemical consumption is either staying moderate or maybe even slightly increasing. Yeah, I mean, they're still living, still consuming. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why in developed areas of the world, um, with aging populations, with aging populations, that level of petrochemical consumptions is at least, you know, maintaining a steady, if not growing, whereas in developing countries. So let's think areas that not everyone has a car. So they're not really consuming that much diesel and gasoline. So that consumption isn't going to go up. But they need, you know, the plastics, they need new clothes, they need shoes for everyone. So that's why the less industrial areas of the planet, their petrochemical consumption is doubling every 12 to 15 years, which is why so many of these refineries are deciding, you know, heck with just focusing on diesel and gas, let's look into petrochemicals and plastics. Kind of that's, yeah. that's the trend that everyone's heading. Well, anyways, the pandemic initially cut global fuel demand 30% and refineries temporarily idled their plants. As consumption has not yet returned to pre-pandemic levels and less travel may be here to stay, the possibility exists that many European plants could close permanently due to the pandemic's impact on both margins and inventories. Refining margins are still a long way away from where they were a year ago, despite the easing of lockdown measures in most parts of Europe. Gasoline margins have averaged little more than one euro per barrel in the northwest of Europe in the third quarter compared to typical levels of around 12 euros per barrel that time of the year. The current decimation in refining economics is reminiscent of the aftermath of the financial crisis of 2008-2009 that led to the shutdown of nearly 1.4 million barrels per day of crude capacity in Europe from 2009 to 2012. 
Unfortunately, product inventories are also problematic with levels high enough that even rising demand cannot absorb the supply. With margins tanking and inventories rising, some have tried to make adjustments to their refining portfolio. Take Total, for example, who decided to sell its 110,000 barrel per day Lindsay refinery in the UK to trading form Prax Group as part of their long-term focus in integrating refining and petrochemical plants. Unfortunately, many investors have little hope in pursuing this path that goes against the region's push towards cleaner energy. Luckily, there still is hope for many of these European refineries on the brink of failure, and it does not come in the form of integration, but rather in the form of a transition. Several European countries have begun issuing specialized green bonds to fund projects tied to the energy transition. Green bonds play an increasingly important role in financing assets needed for the low-carbon transition put forward by the European Green Deal, underlining the need for long-term signals to direct financial and capital flows to green investments. With the overwhelming success of Total's La Mede biofuel producing refinery in southern France, before green bonds were even in place, this just might be the future for struggling European refineries. So I know we just talked about how a lot of these refineries are focusing on petrochemicals and plastics. Europe is definitely kind of taking that on the back burner. There are some refineries that are trying to retool and readjust, but really the trend that we're seeing in Europe right now is more towards biofuels. Um, the Lamide biofuel processing refinery in southern France, I think there was four others announced about two weeks ago that the refineries were going to shift away from processing just crude, some of them entirely, to more focus on biofuels. Take uh, sunflower seed oil, mm -hmm. and I believe peanut oil as well. Sunflower and peanuts? We're not talking sugarcane, algae, ethanol, corn? Uh, so algae and corn are also some of the others, but I thought it was interesting. So Lamide is actually um, sunflower. Oh. Um, and I think since it's in the southern part of France, maybe sunflowers are very prevalent there. It, it makes sense. That yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> so Europe does seem to be kind of completely shying away from totally transitioning to that petrochemical. Um, and they're really focusing on the shift towards that green energy or really just shutting down entirely. Mm -hmm. For U.S. refineries, on the other hand, the severe demand destruction that occurred this past spring led to the worst financial performance in recent history. Not only did refineries produce less diesel, motor gasoline, and jet fuel in the second quarter than any quarter in recent memory, their refining margins were sharply lower than the historical range, a one-two punch that hit their bottom lines hard. In the last three months, six U.S. refineries representing a little less than 3% of total U.S. refining capacity have announced they are shutting down or converting to alternative fuels, which is affecting communities all the way from California to Louisiana. Experts have noted that as the coronavirus pandemic and the ongoing shift away from fossil fuels continues across the United States, it's making some of these plants obsolete. While exaggerated by extended low prices, these trends were developing even before the coronavirus pandemic struck, and they have just accelerated over the past few months. Most major oil companies were expecting oil demand to decline sometime in the future. Several of them now even say it's going to come even faster, and one, BP, has said it's already occurred. As a result, the industry is turning to plants that can process everything from sweet WTI to Canadian bitumen that's the consistency of tar. If the end is near, it is time to be versatile, which is why many are looking to integrate refineries with petrochemical plants that produce precursors for plastics and other consumer products. Oil companies hope this will stave off the decline in demand for gasoline and diesel fuel in the near future. 
The desire to build more complicated integrated refineries is further proven by the fact that the peak number of refineries was reached back in 2017, and just three years later, the United States is down six refineries. Yet, U.S. operable atmospheric crude oil distillation capacity or refining capacity increased 0.9% in 2019, reaching a record of 19 million barrels per calendar day in January 2020, up from the previous record of 18.8 the year before. Hold on, Tavis. You're telling me that the United States was down six refineries and yet they were up about 1% in capacity? That is correct. Even though the number of refineries has been falling steadily, capacity has grown. Unfortunately, capacity in 2021 will not experience the same trend. With low prices and green initiatives being pushed forward, it seems domestic refineries have reached their peaks and are now starting their long decline. In California alone, refining will have to fall 4% to 7% per year to meet the state's greenhouse gas reduction goals. If declines are pushed off until 2025, however, more dramatic cuts ranging from 20% to 80% a year will be required. With refineries being modified to diversify and products shutting down or transforming into green energy refineries, the United States seems to have turned its back on the dominance of crude oil refining power. I mean, let's just look at the news here recently. I think just this past week, Shell announced they are closing another refinery in Louisiana, just proving that these low margins are just really hitting everyone hard. And that decision is in sync with Shell's plans of limiting the number of its operational refineries from 14 to 6 facilities by 2025 as a part of the company's strategy to move away from its primary activities into alternative energy. Why? Isn't, isn't someone losing out here? I mean, it seems like we're completely stripping the entire refining capacity away. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to take advantage of that demand that still exists. Well, the, the question for me becomes, all right, once we do return to pre-pandemic levels, that's not a what if, in my opinion, it's a when. A lot of lead uh, predicting agencies in the world, heck, even most majors out there agree that, all right, we will return to pre-pandemic levels. Once that level gets reached, I'm curious, are we even going to be able to process enough crude? That's the thing that I'm most worried about. We'll have way more stock than we have the ability to get through it. Well, maybe that's where China comes in. <laughs> so with European and U.S.-based companies shying away from more investments in hydrocarbon refining, China is investing tens of billions of dollars in new mega refineries, even as fuel demand is expected to peak within five years. The country is raising the risk that it will flood the region with cheap exports. At least four projects with about 1.4 million barrels per day of crude processing capacity, more than all the refineries in the UK combined, are under construction. That's after the country already added 1 million barrels per day since the start of 2019. Even though Chinese refining capacity has nearly tripled since the turn of the millennia as, well, the country's oil giants, they're trying to keep pace with the rapid growth of diesel and gasoline consumption, Within the country, the new mega refineries under construction are actually going to be geared towards processing crude oil directly into petrochemicals and plastics like we were talking about before. This decision, it's not surprising, as they've realized that these sectors will be what drives global demand into the future as electric vehicles become more and more common. The mismatched building boom further underscores how rapidly clean energy and electric vehicles are changing the industrial landscape in China, especially after Xi Jinping's pledge in September to go carbon neutral by 2060. Ah, 2060, that's a, that's a refreshing number. <laughs> yeah, it's an actual reasonable number. 
It also positions the country to be an even bigger exporter of fuel, endangering refinery operations from South Korea to Australia, even in Europe. Luckily, Chinese oil producers will be unable to keep up with the dramatic uptick in refinery operations, forcing China to import crude oil from abroad. Where? This is especially prevalent for EMP operators in the United States, who are quickly taking over crude import market share in Asian markets. In uncertain times, one thing is becoming certain. China is positioning itself to continue taking over market share globally by expanding refining capacity while the rest of the world appears to be going in the opposite direction. Now, is China wrong and everyone else is right? I, I mean, it would make sense that we're all doing this for a reason, but it seems like they are positioning themselves to be the, the giants of refining. I mean, this isn't the first time in recent history. I mean, we're talking the past few months that China has kind of had this foresight of, hey, let's not look at what's happening right here, right now, or what's happening right here, right now, and tomorrow. They've been looking months, even years into the future when China was buying up cheap crude when it was $30 a barrel and they were storing it. Once crude went up to $45 a barrel, they were making a $15 per barrel margin on that oil that they bought. Smart thinking. They're doing the same thing now. They see an opportunity that European and U.S. refineries are shutting down and they're seeing that, hey, no demand's going to come back. What's going to happen when that happens? The world is going to be hurting for these end products that come from refineries and if the U.S. and Europe and Australia, you know, countries around the world can't provide it, they're going to come begging to us and we can then set the price. I mean, even if we go and look at California and New Jersey, those places are actually eliminating the purchase and sale of combustion engines within the next 15 years. The coronavirus pandemic has accelerated the trend of refinery closures. According to IHS, the damage caused by the virus to demand is likely to be structural and permanent. In fact, IHS's director for Chinese Coal and Power, Chao Min Liu, said, quote, Our current estimate is that there's going to be about 1 million barrels a day refining capacity that is facing closure threat, out of which 60% will be in non-China territories, end quote. It is important to note that over the next five years, the industry as a whole has another 6 million barrels per day of new refining capacity in the works. The refineries that are facing closures do not signal an end to global refining, but more of a shift in priority and location. JBC Energy agrees by stating, quote, In this difficult environment, efforts by the more resilient refiners, not only in Asia, to gain market share may further contribute to pushing out of the most vulnerable players, ultimately leading to some pricing pressure relief in the medium to longer term. While the rest of the world seems to have turned their backs on the downstream operations, China appears to be doing the opposite. On a fundamental level, the world had too many refineries even before the global pandemic decimated crude oil demand and eliminated many bottom lines. Now, China is taking advantage of worldwide closures, recognizing an opportunity to squeeze in and take over a sector in which they had no control before. Many of these refineries were already redundant, but a wave of closures is coming as global crude oil demand is likely returning to pre-pandemic levels in the near future. A possibility exists that more crude products will be demanded than can be processed or refined. China has recognized this future opportunity and stepped in to take advantage of the situation at the expense of many other countries. While more energy developed nations are touting policy moves to force refinery closures as a step towards carbon neutrality, further investigation shows it's simply a shift in refining direction and power. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of this episode. Another great one we know. 
Well, at least we hope it's a good one. <laughs> oh, no, we know it's a good one. And if you're looking for more good ones, go to rarepetro.com. Kevin writes wonderful periodicals. And if you don't like to read them, we do it in this podcast form as well. So whatever you're listening through right now, swipe down a little bit, pick another episode, learn something new, stay in the know. Reach out to us too. Leave us a review, or you can contact us directly at podcast at rarepetro.com. But until we see you next time, Take care, everybody. Before we log out here, though, like I said earlier, today's Veterans Day, and I wanted to give a shout-out to all the veterans and their families out there and also to say thank you for all you've done for this country. So till we see you next time, have a good one. <laughs>